I love you too. Well, I would agree with uh, Pastor, you know, in this day and age in which we live, I never would thought I would see the day in which the doctrine of the rapture would be under serious attack. And you're probably saying, well, uh, attacked by the world, by unbelievers, actually attacked by some Christians. There are some Christians today that will actually mock the doctrine of the rapture and say, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. And they're absolutely right. It doesn't appear in the Bible. The doctrine is there. The word is not. So why do we use the word rapture? If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Look at that word caught up. In the Greek, it is um, harpazo, meaning to harpoon something. You harpoon something and then you reel it in. But in the Latin Vulgate translation of the scriptures, which was translated by Jerome in Bethlehem at around maybe the 15th century A.D., he translated 1 Thessalonians 4.17 caught up as rapturo, R-A-P-T-U-R-O, rapturo from the root rapiomor, which is the first person plural future indicative passive tense, and it simply means to seize or to snatch away. And that's what the rapture is all about, amen? One day the Lord Jesus will return and will seize, snatch his church off this earth, take us to heaven before the commencement of the seven-year period called the tribulation period. And I want to say here tonight, even to my worst enemy, you don't want to be left behind after the rapture of the church. Because anybody left behind after the rapture, you are in serious, serious trouble. If you think it's bad now, this is a cakewalk compared, Brother Danny, to what is to come. A future seven-year period of tribulation. What I want to talk about tonight is when will the generation end? When will this generation end? And so make sure you have your Bibles open. Take down some notes, amen, because I want you to study these things. Don't take August Rosado's word for it, amen? You need to study on your own. Get your Bible. Study these things on your own. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to do what? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to talk about when will this generation end. There's a lot of misunderstanding concerning Matthew 24. There's a lot of misunderstanding on what a generation is. Is it an elongated period of time? Is it 40 years? Is it 35 years? Is it 30? What is a generation? We're going to look at all of this um, tonight. So before we begin, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletters. They go out every single week. We have them go out uh, this afternoon. We have our, our book table back there, so you can sign up for our free uh, Bible prophecy uh, newsletters. Also take one of our prayer cards, amen, 
and uh, keep my wife and I in prayer as we travel all across these United States as I preach on Israel, Bible prophecy, and current events. We also have books available that I have written, seven books in all, on Bible prophecy that are available there on our book table outside in the foyer. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into it right now. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter number 24. You know, when I was in Jerusalem last week, uh, we usually stay at the Dan Hotel, named after the tribe of Dan. And um, Todd Baker and I would go out on the balcony of our hotel. And Brother Danny, right there, right there is the Mount of Olives. What was they say in Hebrew? Har Hatzaitim. The Mount of Olives where 2,000 years ago, in the first century A.D., Jesus and his Talmudim, his disciples, were on that very mountain. And I sit there in that chair on the balcony at a hotel. We're way up there, man. And I'm looking at the Mount of Olives, and my mind is just running away with me. Now, look at Matthew 24, verses 32 through 35. Matthew 24, 32 through 35. Jesus says this. Now notice the words are in red, right? Because we know who's speaking here. Amen. Who's speaking? Jesus. Yeshua. Jesus. He's speaking. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily, I say unto you, this generation, you might want to highlight that, underline that, this generation shall not pass or pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, gracious God, our King, our Savior, our Messiah, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you tonight, to once again be back in the house of God on this Saturday night, Lord. Father, I can remember in times past being saved 35 years now when there was a prophecy conference, say, mid-70s, early 80s, mid-80s, where prophecy conferences were packed out with people who wanted to know what is going on in these very last days in which we live. And yet, Lord, today, 2023, there seems to be no interest in things that are to come. Because, Lord, we have become too busy with the world, we've become too busy with other things, and we just don't have time anymore for the house of God or for the word of God, for that matter. And Lord, I believe it's only going to get worse as we draw closer to Jesus' soon return. But Lord, I'm grateful and thankful for those that you have here tonight. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would help me to preach this message and to keep me within the bounds of the word of God as I do so. We don't want hype. 
We don't want drama. We don't want sensationalism. We do not want the abuse of Bible prophecy. We just want to look at it for its plain sense interpretation, allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, looking at parallel passages to give us a better understanding as to what our Lord is talking about here. And once again, Father, if there is someone here tonight and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die, I pray that they would settle that tonight and call upon the name of the Lord and get saved, especially those watching via live stream tonight, wherever they may be. And so, Father, use me, help me to preach this message, give me the unction, and fill me with your Holy Spirit as I do so. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 deal with what we call the all of that discourse. Why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Where is Jesus at at this time? He's on the Mount of Olives, the place I was just at. He's on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is east of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, separated by the Kidron Valley, known in Joel chapter 3 as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where God said one day he will meet all nations head on when they come up against Israel. So you have the Temple Mount to the west, and you have the Mount of Olives to the east, separated by the Kidron Valley. Now, here is, if you haven't seen it before, that would be the beautiful Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And I was just staring at that Mount of Olives just last week from my hotel balcony, and Dr. Baker and I were just to the left of the Mount of Olives over there last week, as we did a study on what I am right now talking about, we drove all the way up to the Mount of Olives, went right near where the Church of the Ascension is, where Jesus ascended up uh, into heaven, and we did a study that you can view on my YouTube page when you have an opportunity um, later on. This is where the Lord Jesus gave his prophetic discourse 2,000 years ago, right there in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24... Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21 all cover the Olivet Discourse. So he gave his Olivet Discourse right there on the Mount of Olives. But it was also from the Mount of Olives where he ascended back up into heaven, right? Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. And at his second coming, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ will return where? The Mount of Olives. If you've read that prophecy in Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 4, and on that day shall his feet touch the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. I don't know if you can, you can barely see it right here. See this white patch over here? See all that white patch there? This is the church of Mary Magdalene here. It's a Russian Orthodox church. Over here would be the church of all nations. And I can't use the laser here because of the TV screen. But right to the left of that church is the Garden of Gethsemane. Over here, you can see that funny-looking church. It's shaped like a teardrop in the area where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And all this white patch from here going all the way down are graves. Thousands and thousands of Jewish graves on the Mount of Olives because of Zechariah 14.4. Jews would pay $50,000 and up to be buried on the Mount of Olives, because they want to be first in line 
when the Messiah's feet touch the Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, even though they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but that's the reason why they're buried on the Mount of Olives. Only Jews can be buried on the Mount of Olives. But when he returns back to this earth at his second coming, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is going to split right in half. Matthew 24 in context deals with the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25 deals with the kingdom. Please keep that in mind in your studies in Bible prophecy. Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation and the second coming. Matthew 25 deals with the kingdom, the Davidic theocratic kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that will last for 1,000 years. That's Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 7. When we talk about the tribulation period, we are talking about the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. Thy people the Jewish people, thy holy city would be, remember that beautiful Hebrew word I shared with you last night? Yerushalayim. I love that Hebrew word. Yerushalayim. I love hearing young Jewish boys and Jewish girls in Jerusalem. They sing a beautiful song. It goes like this in Hebrew. Yerushalayim ani kinor Jerusalem, the city of gold, let me be a violin unto all your songs. Why is it called Jerusalem, the city of gold? Because when the sun goes down, and I just saw this, man, when the sun goes down, that city lights up like gold, man. It is absolutely an incredible sight to see. So Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation, the 70th week, and Matthew 25 deals with the kingdom to come. You've got to admit this, folks. Out of all the prophetic passages in the Word of God, Matthew chapter 24 has to be one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted passages in the Word of God today. It must be looked at in context and also in light of other parallel passages. The context of Matthew 24 is the tribulation and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, in context, deals with the kingdom to come. Even Listen, even the word generation, generation, it is sorely misunderstood and misapplied today. And you know something? People like playing what I would call the prophetic numbers games to try to pinpoint a rapture day. They, I, I don't like playing these number games in Scripture, like Bible codes. Give me a break. Bible codes and all these other things. For example, they'll say, and I, I remember this, you know, in my early years of being a believer. Brother Rosado, Israel uh, became a nation in 1948. I'm like, yeah, I realize that. And you know something? If you add a generation to 1948, and they believe a generation is 40 years long. I'm saying that in quotations here, okay? So they'll say, Israel was a nation, 1948. So if you add 40 years, which is a generation, the end will come. Well, if that's true, 
if you take 1948 and you add 40 years, the end would have came what year? Did the end come in 1988? No. They'll play another one. Oh, 1967, during the Six-Day War, when Israel recaptured the old city of Jerusalem from the occupying Jordanian army. 1967, add 40 years to that, Brother Rosado. That's going to be the end. Well, if you take 1967 and you add 40 years, the end would have came what year? 2007. Did the end come in 2007? No. You've got to stop playing these number games. Why? They go against the word of God. They go, I, you know, I try to emphasize this repeatedly, that there are no signs that precede the rapture of the church. Nothing must be fulfilled. In order for the rapture of the church, the next main event on God's calendar of activities, nothing has to happen. Nothing must be fulfilled in order for the bride of Jesus Christ to be caught away at the rapture of the church. That's why I believe in the doctrine of imminency. Imminence. Imminency. What does that simply mean? We cannot count on a certain amount of time transpiring before that imminent event happens. That's pretty much what imminence means in a nutshell. Something is about to occur. Something is about to happen, but we are not sure when that thing is about to happen. In verse number 32, Jesus said, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So in verse 32, Jesus uses the parable of the fig tree. You see fig trees all over Israel, amen? Israel, at times, is referred to as the fig tree, right? Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, Joel chapter 1, verse 7. Israel is referred to as the fig tree. He says, when the fig tree begins to bloom, you know that summer is near. Or when you see the flowers begin to bloom, you know that spring is near. When the leaves begin to form on the tree, you know that summer is just right around the corner. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is using nature to communicate an eschatological absolute truth. Amen? Israel's back in the land after 2,000 years of dispersion, but they're back in unbelief. Amen? When Jesus approaches the fig tree, he saw that there was what? Nothing. There was no figs. There was no fruit. What did Jesus say? Let no fruit grow on ye from henceforth. In other words, Israel, in, even in his day, is in a state of unbelief. They rejected him as a Messiah, which is why he wept over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Amen? Because he knew right there and then that the Jewish nation would reject him. And then fast forward 2,000 years later, they still reject him as Messiah. I don't even know how I can even tell this story, brother. Todd Baker and I were walking through the old city of Jerusalem. We passed out our, our last Bible. Todd, and if he's watching, Dr. Baker, we went to the Western Wall or the Whalen Wall in Jerusalem. He wore his Yeshua hat. It was written in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua is Hebrew for Jesus. That, that was his first century Jewish birth name, Yeshua, salvation. No issues at the wall. But as we're walking up the stairs in the old city, a 12-year-old, 12-year-old 
orthodox Jewish kid with his keeper on, with his talit or zitzit or fringes hanging. Notice Todd Baker's hat. Looked at Todd Baker, and this is what he said, using the F word. Blank, Yeshua. Excuse me? Slicha? <laughs> Excuse me? And he looked at Todd again and he said, Blank! Yeshua. And then Todd kept on saying to him, He died for you. He died for you. He died for you. Wouldn't have any of it. That's my point. Israel's back in the land, but they're back in a state of unbelief. In preparation for what? A seven-year period. Of tribulation to come. See, that's what we experience. At not all the time, but from time to time, we experience stuff like that. We just wasn't expecting it from a twelve-year-old, a twelve-year-old Orthodox Jewish kid. When the fig tree begins to bloom, we know that summer is near. When the flowers are coming up, we know that spring is near. When the leaves begin to form on the tree, we know that summer is around the corner. He's using nature to communicate an absolute truth. Israel is back in the land after 2,000 years. We all know that, amen? They're back in the land, but they are back in unbelief. Since the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD with General Titus and the Roman army, Israel was dispersed to the four corners of the earth, but they're back in the land since 1897, leading up to 1948 with the rebirth of the state of Israel. They're back in the land in unbelief in preparation for the upcoming seven-year period of tribulation to come. Let's look at another parallel passage here. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. This is a continuation of the Olivet Discourse, okay? Luke 21, and we're going to look at um, verse number 29. Luke 21, and uh, we're going to begin in verse number 29. Again, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, all cover the Olivet Discourse. Now, notice with me, please, in Luke 21, verses 29 through 32. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. So now he throws all the trees in there, not just the fig tree. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye... When ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh, it's near, at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation, again underline that generation, shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. The Lord again uses the ecosystem, the fig tree. Believe it or not, he uses meteorology, the weather to communicate an absolute prophetic truth here concerning his return back to this earth. The ecosystem, learn the parable of the fig tree. Meteorology, know that summer is nigh at hand. The generation that will experience the eschatological events in Daniel and Revelation will be the generation that will pass away. And folks, I'm here to tell you, it could possibly be this generation. I'm not being dogmatic here, but it could possibly, given what's going on in the world right now, brother, I mean, Robbie, it could possibly be the generation that we are living in right now. Again, 
Jesus uses meteorology to communicate this absolute truth, even concerning his first coming to this earth. Do you remember when he was going at it with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? This is what he said in Matthew 16, 1 through 3. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempted, desired him that he should show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, when it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering or threatening. Oh, ye hypocrites. Yeah, Jesus called them hypocrites. Oh, ye hypocrites. Ye can't discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. Pa you know, paraphrasing here, Jesus said, you guys can be great meteorologists. You can tell when there's going to be good weather. You can tell when there's going to be bad weather. But you can't even understand the messianic prophecies concerning me. My first coming. If you would have only read the messianic prophecies of Genesis 3.15, the birth of the Messiah, Micah 5.2, the death of the Messiah, Matthew 9, 24 through 27, Isaiah chapter 53, the resurrection of the Messiah, Psalm chapter 16, and verse number 10. If you would have only read these prophecies, you would have no problem recognizing who I am. Oh, you can, you can tell whether it's going to be good weather or bad weather, but you cannot discern, you cannot distinguish the signs of the times. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. And I'll give you the kingdom right now on a silver platter. I'll get rid of those Romans. I'll give you the kingdom right now. All you have to do is acknowledge who I am. Did they do that? No. What did Jesus say? Luke 19, 42. Now these things are hid from your eyes. See that temple? You can kiss it. Goodbye. And 40 years later, after you ascended back up into heaven from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, the Romans came in, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, scattered the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth. When Jesus said you can't discern the signs of the times, the signs here are not eschatological, meaning end time signs or tribulation signs, but first coming prophecies fulfilled with the coming of the Messiah in the first century A.D. The messianic prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming. The Pharisees and the Sadducees missed it. They dropped the ball royally. So what we are witnessing today, ladies and gentlemen, is perilous times activity signifying that the rapture of the church is nearby. It is so close at hand. Folks, we are talking about the generation that will pass away is the generation that will experience the seven-year period of tribulation. You're all familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You count 19 characteristics from verses 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, Paul said this know also that in the last days, we're in the last days, right? In the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such Turn away. 
19 characteristics of what you and I are witnessing right now prior to the rapture of the church. I'm not telling you nothing new. I know you read the newspapers. I know you watch the news, amen. It's not getting any better. It's only going to get worse. But the darker it gets out there, the brighter it's becoming for you, Christian, because Jesus said, I am on my way. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Then when the church is taken out of here at the rapture, then somewhere down the road, this generation, or whatever generation, that experiences seven-year period of tribulation will pass away. It will be done, uh, done away with when Jesus returns at his second coming back to this earth, the generation that will experience the seven-year period of tribulation. But this begs the question, what is a generation? Now, I've heard this <laughs> time and time. Is it a length of time? Is it 40 years? Is it 35 years? Is it 30? Is it even a time period at all? And then some would use to prove their point, that a generation is 40 years. Some would use Psalm chapter 95 and verse number 10. 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Let me ask you a question. Is Psalm 95 verse 10 actually teaching that a generation is 40 years long? Look at that verse nice and hard and you tell me if Psalm 95 verse 10 is teaching that a generation is 40 years long. No, absolutely not. What God is saying here is that for 40 years I put up with the rebellion of this generation. 40 years long I was taking the gut from these individuals and God said, now I've had enough. And what did God do? He destroyed that generation by having them wander in the wilderness for 40 years and he allowed the new generation to make their way into the promise. All God is saying there is that for 40 years I put up with the sinful, rebellious, wicked generation. Psalm 95 verse 10 does not teach that a generation is 40 years long. I do not believe, folks, that is the case. So when we look at generation, okay? Now generation is the Hebrew word door, D-O-R. Now I taught at Biblical Door just last week with Dr. Todd Baker uh, overlooking the Mediterranean Sea which is one of King Solomon's fortresses there. And so generation in Hebrew is door. So you see the three Hebrew consonants there, Dalit, Vav, Resh, door, okay? The Greek for uh, generation is Ganea, Ganea. It comes from the root Genos. It does not denote a time period, amen? Do you know what Ganea in the Greek means generation. Genea, or generation in English, know what it means? Race, kind, family, stock, breed, kind of people. Ethnicity, where we get the Greek word ethnos. That's all generation means. It's not a time period of 40, 30, 35 years. Genea, race, kind, family, stock, breed kind of people. What Jesus is saying is that this race, this family, this stock, this breed, this kind of people will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. What is fulfilled? 
the seven-year period of tribulation. When Jesus puts an end to that carnage of the seven years, at his second coming back to this earth. That is all generation means. It's not an elongated period of time. It just simply means ethnicity. Race, breed, stock, this kind of people. This family of the world will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Again, the people that are playing these number games today with 1948 and add in 40 years, which is a generation, which you know it isn't. 1967, add in 40 years to that, then the end will come. You can't be playing these type of silly numbers games. Let me, let me give you proof that a generation is not 40 years in Scripture. You ready? Look at this. Remember good old Job? What a man, huh? What a guy. Job, even his own wife said, just curse God and die. He said, I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to curse my God. You remember Job 42, 16? Now look at this. Look at it very carefully. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even what? Four generations. You do the math on that, folks. Take 140, divide it by four. You know what number you come up with? It ain't 40. It's 35. Job lived 35 generations each to see his family grow up. So a generation is not necessarily 40 years. Over here, we see it as 35 years. If you divide 140 by 4, amen, it comes out to 35. It doesn't come out to 40. So a generation is not a period of time. It's not an elongated period of time. It simply means what? Race. Breed, stock, this kind of people. This breed of people of the world will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. This is exactly what our Lord is talking about. These silly little scripture number games, they just simply go against the word of God. You know why? Jesus said what? No man knoweth the day or the hour of his return. You know, even though Matthew 24 deals with the tribulation period, I believe there's a brief break in there, in verse 36, concerning possibly the rapture. But of that day and hour, knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 36. There are no signs that precede the rapture, and nothing needs to be fulfilled, amen? In the tribulation period, you got signs galore. I mean, God forbid, if you get left behind at the rapture, Okay, and say you get saved in the tribulation period. If, it, it, you know, if you're lucky enough, I would, I would probably say, all you got to do is wait for the Antichrist to confirm a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, Daniel 9, 27, and then get a pen and just start checking off the days, man. All these signs of the tribulation period. Check off 2,520 days leading up to Jesus' second coming back to this earth. At the rapture, he comes for his church. We go to meet him in the air. Seven years later, he comes back with his church at his second coming back to planet earth, to the land of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem for the inauguration of the millennial kingdom reign. But I believe we have a brief break there in Matthew 24, verse 36, that no man knows the day and the hour of his soon return at the rapture of the church. And yet today, the church is plagued, plagued 
with prophetic abuse, prophecy, number games, adding this to there and adding this to that, date setting. That goes against what we just read, folks. Stop date setting. These guys all over YouTube, these over-the-top, irresponsible prophecy teachers, they're setting dates thinking that they're smarter than Jesus Christ. You cannot set a date for the rap data. And listen, and in those of you that are watching on live stream, any church or any pastor that is day setting, get out of there. Get out of there. Any church that's abuse of Bible prophecy, get out of there, man. Get yourself involved in a good, strong, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Baptist church, amen, where you can get fed the word of God. That's why East Bay Baptist Church is here. I'm not saying we know it all from A to Z, but we love God's word. Amen. We have a pastor who preaches God's word. Amen. We look at the scriptures for their plain sense interpretation. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We believe in the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ back to this earth. Amen. We believe in a bodily 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We take every jot and every tittle of this book from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 literally. Literally. And yet the church today is just plagued with all this prophetic, eschatological abuse. Date setting. Let a plain sense approach to scripture is almost non-existent in the church today. The church has lost doctrinal credibility. It's gone out the window. I never thought I'd see the day of heresy and false doctrine even penetrating some independent fundamental Baptist circles today. Why? We have departed from a plain sense interpretation of Scripture. We're no longer allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible. Looking at it for its grammatical, historical, contextual, and very important, literal interpretation. That's gone out the window because we're getting our doctrine from YouTube instead of from self-study and from the pastor, the man of God in the church. This generation, this people, this stock, this breed, this family, these kinds of people, ethnicity will not pass away until the end of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. The generation that will experience the seven-year period of, G of, of uh, tribulation. Jesus will return at the end of the tribulation period to establish his kingdom from the holy city of Jerusalem. And there is Jerusalem in the evening. The picture does not do any justice, folks. You've got to see it with your own. Folks, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at your future home if you're saved. You are looking at your future home in the kingdom to come. My mentor, the late Zola Levitt, went home to be with the Lord in 2006. Zola said, for a thousand years, we are all going to be Israelis. Whether we like it or not. Because we're going to reign with the greatest Jew, the greatest rabbi, the greatest Israeli to ever walk the face of this earth. Yeshua HaMashiach, Ben David, Ben Abraham. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He will one day reestablish David's throne right in that city. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Luke 1, 32 and 33. 
He will reestablish David's throne. He will sit on David's throne in the kingdom to come. And Jeremiah 3.17 tells us that Jerusalem in the future will be the throne of the Lord. The very center of the earth according to Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse number 5. That is our home. That's why when I go to Israel, I get a foretaste, man. I get a foretaste of the kingdom to come. That's why I can sit on my balcony at the Dan Hotel in the old city of Jerusalem and stare at the Mount of Olives, staring at the Temple Mount, and just imagining Jesus setting up the throne of David right there. Absolutely astounded. Absolutely amazing. Get a foretaste of what our future home is going to be like. In Luke 21, I think we're already there, he says this, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh. What kingdom are we talking about? The millennial kingdom. You even got some Christians, Pastor Tony, that are denying the millennial kingdom. A bodily millennial kingdom reign. Why would you have a problem? With a bodily reign of Jesus on this earth, given the mess that we're in today. Why would you have a problem with that? They'll say, well, you can't take Revelation chapter 20, 2 through 7, and take that literally. Well, why not? Well, uh, you just can't. That ain't good enough for me. There is no rhyme or reason whatsoever to take Revelation 20, 2 through 7, and allegorize it and say it means something else. Even some of these guys would have the temerity to look at you and say that we're in the kingdom right now. That's baloney, man. They'll tell you we're in the kingdom right now. Jesus is right now on David's throne, ruling over the nations of the world in our hearts as the church is on earth. That is absolute false doctrine. If Jesus is reigning over the nations of the world right now, he's not doing a good job of it. Because the Bible says in Revelation 12.5, Revelation 12.5, that when he does reign, he's going to reign with what? Exactly. He's going to reign with a rod of iron. He's going to, we talked about this last night, he's going to crush the nations when they come up against Israel. He will put an end to all Gentile world powers, thus putting an end to the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles does not end at the rapture. I've heard that growing up. I don't know how many times. It ends at the second coming of Jesus back to this earth when he crushes all Gentile world powers. Just read Revelation 14. 14 through 16. When it talks about that grain harvest. You see him in Israel today with these big fork. What do they call those round... Um, um, what do they call a round sharp? A sickle. You see them in Israel today, man. They're in their long, tall grain, and they're just like, choom, throwing it in the thing. Choom, I mean, they're just chopping away, man. And then when you get to verses 17 through 20, it talks about a grape harvest where he will take the nations of the world like a cluster of grapes, put them in the wine vat. You know what he's going to do? <clears throat> Until the blood flows as high as a horse's bridles for the space of 1,600 furlongs. You know what 1,600 furlongs is in the Bible? That's beautiful, fancy King James language right there. That is exactly 176 miles from the Jezreel Valley, Armageddon, northeast of the state of Israel, going all the way down over the border of Israel, 
into southern Jordan, and it ends right at Petra. That is exactly 176 miles. That blood will flow for 176 miles from Armageddon in the north of the state of Israel to the very door to the entrance of Petra. You say, can that many people breed, stock, produce that much blood? Oh, absolutely. Let's say for the sake of argument, okay, that 100 nations invade Armageddon in preparation to make war against Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm just throwing something out, out at you here. And those 100 nations produce 1 million soldiers each. Now we have 100 million soldiers in the Jezreel Valley, in the north of the state of Israel, at the plains of the Jezreel, Armageddon. 100 million soldiers slain could produce 600 million quarts of blood. That's 50 quarts per foot for the space of 1,600 furlongs, 176 miles. So yes, this breed, this stock, this family, this kind of people could produce that much blood. When they come up against the Lord Jesus Christ, he will crush all Gentile world forces. Do you know why he's going to crush all Gentile world forces? He's going to protect the apple of his eye. His flesh and blood. I'm putting all you anti-Semites on notice. He will protect the apple of God's eye. Remember what he said in Matthew 25? When you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Genesis 12.3. I will bless those who bless thee, Israel, and I'll curse those who curse thee, Israel. And in thee, Israel, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Why? Because from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, through the Davidic kings, would come the King Messiah, Melech Yeshua. Jesus the Messiah. And he will one day sit upon the throne of his father or his forefather, David. And the Bible says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This generation, this stock, this breed, this kind of people will not pass away until they experience that seven-year period of tribulation. Then they'll know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that will happen, folks, when King Jesus comes back to this earth riding on a white horse, at his second coming, at the end of the tribulation period, to establish his kingdom from that very city I was at just last week. The holy city of Yerushalayim. The holy city of Jerusalem. My name will be there forever. God said his name would not be in Washington, D.C. God said his name will not be in Moscow, Russia. God said his name will not be in Beijing, China. His name will be forever in Jerusalem. Your home, future home in the kingdom to come. 
That's why Jesus prayed in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't say thy kingdom now. He prayed thy kingdom come. That is future tense, ladies and gentlemen. That's future tense. We are not in the kingdom now. We're not in the tribulation period, and we're not in the kingdom. The church will not be on earth during the tribulation period. The church must be taken out before the tribulation period. But the generation left behind after, after the rapture will have to experience all those things. And then at the end of that seven-year period, that generation is going to pass away. And then Jesus is going to establish his kingdom to come. Well, he will rule the nations, ladies and gentlemen, with a rod of iron. I'll tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen. In closing, as I stated already, we are right now in the perilous time stage of the last days. And everything that we see going on right now is in lockstep what the Bible says will happen prior to the rapture. They are not signs, because again, no signs will see the rapture. But they are last day's indicators that Jesus is coming soon to call his bride out of the world. So what am I telling you? This could possibly be the generation. This could possibly be the breed, the stock, the family, this kind of people that will pass away. But before all that judgment can come, this is our blessed hope right here. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. All the born-again dead from Pentecost up until now are coming up out of those graves. they got six feet further to go, but they go first. All Christians alive at the time of the rapture will rise to meet the dead in Christ in the air, and Jesus will take us to the Father's house, and when we are in heaven, we will be in heaven for a very brief period of how long? Seven years. You say, well, August, what are we going to be doing in heaven for seven years? Walking around like a bunch of zombies? Pastor Tony, is that you? <laughs> no, man. Listen, we're going to have our hands full up there, man. You know why? I think I may have explained about the Jewish wedding customs. There are three stages to a Jewish wedding customs. There's a betrothal, right? Remember? Betrothal, the marriage, and then the marriage feast. You know what stage we're in right now? The betrothal stage. But then at the rapture, he takes us to the Father's house. We'll appear before him at the judgment seat of Christ, right? Romans 14.10, Romans 14.12, 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians 3.11-15. And when that's all said and done, then there will be an official wedding where the bride and the groom go into the honeymoon chamber to consummate the marriage. After that's all said and done, there's going to be a marriage feast. I don't know what we're going to be eating up there, Brother Rob. Maybe lobster tails. Stuffed swordfish. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm already getting hungry.
But whatever it is, it will be perfect, calorie-free, because you're going to be in a perfect body anyway. You're going to be in a glorified body. After the marriage feast, and we have our fill, we get on white horses. We come back here to Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, for the inauguration of the millennial kingdom reign. So right now in the church age, prior to the rapture, we are in the betrothal stage. Betrothal stage. And I believe this stage is about to come to an end. The church age is about to come to an end. And Jesus Christ is going to take us home to the Father's house. But the question that I have for all of you here tonight is, will you meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air when the trumpet sounds? Or will you be left behind at the rapture? What if the rapture was to happen right now? That's a strong possibility. What if the rapture was to happen right now? Would East Bay Baptist Church right now be empty at the time of the rapture? Or would some of you still be sitting in your chairs after the rapture? I can't wait for Sunday now, brother, since you've brought something to my attention. I ain't going to let them know what it is, though. I've seen it many times. I've used it many times. But that's the question. Will you meet the Lord in the air, or will you be left behind? My advice to you, don't get left behind. Remember what I said last night? If you don't get right, you're going to get left. Don't be left behind. A trumpet's going to sound. It's right there. A trumpet's going to sound. And when it does, he's going to take us to the Father's house. And we will be up there in heaven for that brief seven years. That's why I love to toot my own horn when I go to churches. Amen? I love to toot my own horn, man. I want to let everyone know that one day the real deal is going to sound. And I, for one, will be ready. Why? Because I'm a good person? <laughs> Far from it. You see a halo over my head? Anybody? Nah. If I deserved anything from God right now, it's hell. I deserve his judgment. I deserve his wrath. I don't deserve nothing from him. Nothing. But he saved me. April 22nd, 1988, 10.49 a.m. on a Thursday morning. He changed and he transformed my life. Never thought he'd call me to preach, but he did. Now I have a blessed hope to look forward to. What do you got to look forward to? You look forward to a blessed hope? Or are you looking forward to continue to be miserable? Wretched? Not happy? Nothing to look forward to. It doesn't have to be that way. Get saved now. Amen. Call upon the name of the Lord before we hear...
this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Get saved now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're sitting here tonight, you say, in August, I do not have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. I've been hearing a lot about prophecy, a lot about what's going to happen in the days to come. And it seems that what's going on in the world right now is setting the stage for that. I agree with you, it is. But the question is, how is that going to affect you? It's going to affect you either positively or negatively. Positively, you meet the Lord Jesus in the air. Negatively, you're left behind. Left behind to live in a world under the rule of the satanic trinity of the dragon, Satan, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet. Where millions and millions and millions are going to die. You say, are you trying to scare me? I would rather scare you into heaven than not offend you into hell. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ tonight? Would you accept him as your Lord and Savior, receive his free gift, or would you just say, eh, I'm all set? Listen, nobody's all set. I don't care how good you are, how much money you have, nobody's all set. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died for me because we are sinners in need of a Savior. What will you do with Jesus Christ tonight? I will tell you this. 10,000 years from tonight, 10,000 years from tonight, you will remember this service. Just ask the rich man in Luke chapter 16. He remembered too. And he's been in hell for the last 2,000 years. And will remain there. He will remain there. What will you do with Jesus Christ tonight? Chris is going to play a song of invitation. If you need, talk with me. Talk with Pastor Tony. Somebody here tonight. Give us that opportunity to show you from the Bible. How you can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that heaven will be a destination. And you'll be ready for Jesus' soon return to escape a future lake of fire. God doesn't throw anybody in hell. You make the choice to go there. Not God, you. You make the choice to go there. What will you do with Jesus Christ tonight? Father, thank you again for your precious word. We looked at a lot tonight, Lord. Father, I ask that you would take everything that was said, everything that was preached, and that your Holy Spirit would have his will and his way tonight. Father, people are dying every single day. They're splitting hell wide open. And I know, Lord, being a holy, righteous God, you cannot allow sin in your presence. And you cannot allow it into heaven, which is why you sent your son to die for the sins of all humanity. To give man an opportunity to receive that free gift of eternal life. And they can do that tonight by simply, by faith, calling upon the name of the Lord. 
Father, thank you for what you're about to do now. In Jesus' name we pray.